Okay. So as I mentioned by having you grab the little Christian prayers and, and, and in the opening, I want to talk about the psalms here. Psalms is a good thing to talk about on Sunday morning with the sun coming in. It's a, uh, the psalms are so often about the time of day, kind of praise and stuff like that. It seems very fitting, especially it's Sunday, as Psalm 18 tells us, the day the Lord has made. So it's a good, good place to go. So the goal of, of this retreat has been, you know, like any retreat, to give you some rest and to let you pray, and also hopefully to give you some things to take home with you to help you pray better. And on this retreat specifically, the goal is to have, show you how the Bible can help you pray better. And while the whole Bible can do that, the church has chosen this part, the Psalms especially, as its way to pray. Uh, the church puts the psalmist words on her lips again and again and again, whether it be in the, the Mass, in the other liturgies, and things like that. She, she uses the words of the psalmist constantly. You know, when we have those, I know anymore we tend to get hymns, right, but the beginning, end, and middle of Mass. But you probably also know there are antiphons, right, that, that, that you can look in the book and there's an antiphon for that. And some of our even names for certain uh, occasions and days and stuff like that come from the antiphon. Gaudete Sunday, Laetare Sunday. And most famously because it was the day they discovered the little hunchback, Quasimodo Sunday. So the hunchback is named after the day they found him on the doorstep, uh, which was Quasimodo Sunday, the Sunday after Easter. Um, and that comes from the first word of the, of the, the psalm on that day. And so there's, there's a lot of those. And it's just a good place. If you, you kind of like, if you want to know what the church says and sings about a given day, check out that anaphon. It's a good little, little place for that. The Liturgy of the Hours, of course, the backbone of it is the psalms. We, you know, in, in addition to all the other prayers, the first part is just called the Psalter. So you got the Psalter. We currently have a four-week rotation in the Psalter. In, in the older breviary, previous to uh, 1965, 1970, um, it was a one-week rotation. So in the course of the week, you do all 150 psalms. But that was pretty daunting. Um, and, uh, and so I, I think the church was wise to make it a four-week rotation. It, it gives you just enough to be able to... <coughs> You know, to keep it, you know, close in mind, but not overwhelming. And I think it, it spreads it out pretty well. Um, even the Stations of the Cross, yesterday as we did them, a lot of those things in the stations were from the Psalms, right? Um, and, and not just from like Psalm 22, which we think of as being kind of the, the crucifixion psalm, but there's a lot of different things from different Psalms, Psalm 30 and Psalm 74 and stuff like that. Uh, and then any number of older rituals have Psalms associated with them uh, in different ways. What's interesting is... Um, you know, you take the Old Testament and the New Testament, you look at them in parallel, they have a lot of parallels, even in their kind of books, right? You know, if you ever looked in the front of your Bible, it breaks it down into the, the Pentateuch, right? The first five books, right? And then there's, um, you know, sometimes it calls the next section history, or some places the minor prophets, um, uh, or the lesser prophets, I think is what it calls it. Uh, and then you get the... Um, you get the big chunk of prophets. You get the writings, which is like the wisdom writings and stuff like that. Um, and, uh, and sometimes it has like, different names for a few of those things. So basically think of it as like in the Old Testament, you've got your core, your history, your wisdom, and your prophecy. Think of those as your big four, all right? Um, but in the New Testament, they actually, I don't know if it was intentional, maybe on God's part, probably wasn't on the church's part. They actually mirror that, right? So the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are the core of the story of Jesus, right? They're like the new Pentateuch. They are the new story, the story that, that's essential to know, right? And then there's a history book, right? 
Acts is our one history book for the story of the early church, right? And then there's uh, books of wisdom, all those letters by Paul and Peter and John and James and Jude, right? Um, and then there's a book of prophecy, right? There's the, the, the book of Revelation. There's this book with this kind of sometimes confusing imagery, but in these prophecies, both of, of condemnation and also of great joy, lines up really nicely there. Um, but what's not in the New Testament is there's no replacement for the Psalms, the church did not feel there was any need to do something other than the Psalms, right? They said, those 150, perfect. Not even going to touch them. We'll just take them and use them, right? Like they, they found in the Psalms a, a treasure trove that they felt there was either no need or no way for them to update, even, even in, in the light of Christ. They said, the Psalms actually were telling us about Christ all along. We didn't know. You probably heard the line, uh, everything, that's, everything that's in the new is hidden in the old. Everything that's in the old is revealed in the new, right? So the two go back and forth. And they said the Psalms especially did that, right? And I mentioned before, the, the monks really picked up the Psalms and, and made them part of their day. You know, those early church fathers, so those early desert fathers would sit around and they'd be doing their work, you know, weaving baskets or whatever. And they would recite the Psalms to kind of you know, keep their thoughts focused on God as, as they worked. It's crazy to think that they might have had all 150 psalms memorized. But you think about how oral their culture is, and they probably did. By the time you got to be an old enough monk, you probably did have the whole Psalter more or less memorized and stuff like that. And especially if they could sing it and that, you know, set it to, you know, kept it in their head. I mean, I bet we all have 150 songs in our heads. Right, you know, between you take between like the the music you grew up with, the current music, uh, the church music, um, happy birthday. You know, <laughs> you put them all together. We, we, I bet we have 150 songs in our head. Maybe you can't do every verse of My Sharona, but like you can, you know, you can you can at least remember the tune and the opening words and stuff like that. And then we have Saint Augustine telling us that he who sings. He who sings well prays twice. Uh, that is always an interesting line. You know, our teachers growing up always told us, he who sings prays twice. Augustine actually says, he who sings well prays twice. But don't let that discourage anybody who's not a great singer, right? Still, you know, if God gave you a gift, you give it back to him. That's the moral of the gospel, right? Whatever talents he gives you, whether he gives you 10 or 5 or 1, you give it back to him with interest, right? So if he gives you an interesting voice, give it right back to him, right? You know, not every bird sings with the same song, right? But they all, they all uh, uh, sing for the Lord. Um, one of the most fascinating things about the, the Psalms is how much feeling and feelings is captured in those 150 Psalms. And it's, it's actually some of the oldest recordings we have of, of people recording their feelings, of making poetry and not just prose, right? I mean, our earliest writing is, you know, those cuneiform tablets out of Babylon. Those are just like account books. You know, it's like, you know, you know, so-and-so dropped off 50 bushels of wheat in the temple, you know, gave receipt. You know, like, their, their notes, they're not nearly as poetic. And even, like, those epics like Gilgamesh and stuff like that, those don't tell a lot of emotions. You don't really start to see that in literature until, like, you get to Homer. And actually, the Psalms are written right about the same time as the Iliad probably was written, right about 1,000 uh, or so uh, B.C., so they actually have a, a lot in common uh, uh, of those of that, but but there's so much feeling in the Psalms. It really is kind of remarkable um, how it does that. And and I've I've had uh, spiritual directees who have said, you know, how do I? I got a lot of feelings. I'm feeling a lot of feelings these days. What do I do with my feelings? And I said, you know. Maybe just do the psalms. Don't do the whole liturgy of the hours. Just maybe do like the morning prayer and evening prayer and night prayer psalms. Like that's probably five minutes for morning and evening and like 
two minutes for night prayer, right? Try that and just see how that it does this help you like kind of not so much get the feelings out, but kind of if it's the right feeling for there, but also just to know that like, hey, it's okay. Like for half, half of the Psalter, the psalmist is just like, oh, it hurts so bad. God, make it stop. Right. Uh, and other times, you know, uh, there's this, this like request for something, this supplication. And other times there's this praise and we need to hear the whole span of that. And that's a great thing uh, to get. And that's one of the reasons why the church values the Psalms so much. Um, because the church affirms whatever is human, right? The church says that feelings aren't bad. Feelings deserve to be felt. The church says that in so many different ways. And one of the most kind of brilliant but subtle ways it does it is by putting all those different feelings in its liturgy through the Psalms. Um, and the church fathers especially appreciated the Psalms because of this. Um, it, it, <laughs> remember, I don't know if you guys are, okay. Does anybody remember the, the ad a couple years ago where it was like, uh, there's an app for that, there's an app for that, right? It was like, an, it was like a, uh, well, just the iPhones were becoming big. There's an app for that. I don't know if everybody remembers that one. But the church fathers were almost like, there's a psalm for that. There's a psalm for that. Feeling cruddy? There's a psalm for that. Feeling happy? There's a psalm for that. Feeling sick? There's a psalm for that, All right? Um, you know, feeling that, that nobody else understands you? We literally got a psalm for that, right? Like, we got a psalm for everything. Um, and, and the church fathers also said, this is why the whole church prays the whole Psalter, right? We said there's two liturgies. There's the Eucharistic liturgy and the Liturgy of the Hours. And those are the, the main liturgies of, of the church, the main public liturgy of the church or the public prayer of the church. Um, and the idea was that it's the prayer of the whole church at any given time, right? So people ask, like, it's hard to read a sad psalm when I'm feeling good. You know, I just got a raise or a promotion or a new job or whatever. I'm feeling good. You know, my kid just graduated high school. I'm feeling great. And I'm reading this sad, sad lament psalm. And the church fathers said, yeah, because somewhere in the church, somebody is sad today, right? Somebody is suffering. Somebody might even be going through persecution. So you pray that because the whole church has somebody doing that. And then on those days when you're feeling really, you know, dark and down and stuff like that, and you would just want to read Psalm 88 over and over again, you know, the church, like, puts praise on your lips to say, like, nope, the church is also a church of praise, right? So we, we are praising even when we're not feeling praise, right? So it's, it's, a, it's kind of a brilliant move there. And that's kind of some of the main breakdowns of the psalms. You have praise psalms, lament psalms, wisdom, and uh, royal psalms. Royal psalms are kind of a tiny little group, but they're important. There's also thanksgiving psalms, but they kind of hide themselves in other places, like with the praise or with the royal and stuff like that. Um, the Liturgy of the Hours has some broad tendencies. So, like, okay, let's, like, look at today's... Um, actually, no, let's look at last week's morning prayer. That'd be really good. Look at, um, look at Sunday morning prayer back on the... F- of page 43. So this is, this is like first day, first psalms. How do we start it off, right? How do, we, how do we begin the week, right? So morning prayer is a lot of praise psalms and, a, and also psalms of like devotion and love. So the first one we start off with on 43 is like the best, for lack of a better term, love psalm, devotion psalm. Has the famous opening, O God, you are my God. For you I long. For you my soul is thirsting. My body pines for you like a dry, weary land without water. So I gaze on you in the sanctuary to see your strength and your glory. Like, that's about the most openly in love the psalmist gets. Like, like the, the psalmist truly loves God. His soul is thirsting for God. He longs for the ability to just gaze at the Lord in his sanctuary, right? Uh, and then you see it continues. For your love is better than life. My lips will speak your praise. So, so very, very... Uh, 
happy, very um, uh, affirming. But also there's a sense of, but when I'm away from you, it's like a dry, weary land without water. So you get that. Um, you flip the page, and there you see a canticle. All of the, new, all of the Old Testament canticles are in morning prayer. Uh, all of the Old New Testament canticles are in evening prayer. Um, they rotate differently, though. There's only seven New Testament ones, so you get them on a one-week rotation, but there's, whatever, 28 in the new, of Old Testament, so you get one each day for four weeks. So that's the big, long uh, prayer of Daniel. And you might remember, we even said today uh, in our antiphon, it said, you know, let us sing the song of the three young men in the furnace. This is what they sang in Daniel while they were in, in the fire. Uh, Kevin Tala once taught me a song that Joyce taught her of, uh, it's from like, what's that? Yeah, Shadrach, Meshach, and Bendigo's song, and it's like, it's not hot in the fire. Yeah, it's not hot. Yeah, it's a cool little song like for kids. Do you know it? It's, yeah, it's, like, it's a veggie tales or salter or salty or one of, it's one of those early ones. Yeah, yeah. And it's, 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 a, it's a great uh, little, little ditty, and you can teach your kids really hard names like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, so that itself, I mean, look, every line ends with bless the Lord, right? And then look at the next page, Psalm 149, one of those great uh, praise psalms. Sing a new song to the Lord, his praise in the assembly of the faithful. You ever ponder that line? We get that a lot. Sing a new psalm to the Lord, or sing a new song to the Lord. We hear it a lot in the liturgy. But, like, it's saying our old songs aren't good enough. All the songs that we thought were, were good, those aren't good enough. We're going to need a new song to celebrate today. We're going to need a new song to express this. And you think about it, like, like there's, you think, like, you think of your favorite song, and they're like, there was a day when that song didn't exist. Nobody knew that song. It's hard to believe there was a world that didn't know this song, and yet for... Hundreds of years before that, nobody knew that song, right? And that's kind of the feeling of, like, somebody made a totally new, totally amazing new way of expressing that. Um, and so, th- so that's a good example of praise, devotion, and love. Um, for evening prayer, our big thing, themes are thanksgiving, uh, being steadfast, having confidence. Sunday evening prayer is a little tricky just because it has a lot of stuff. Go to Monday evening prayer. Uh, go to uh, page 59. So we're jumping ahead a day just because the Sunday evening prayer has a lot of different things going. It has a lot of royal psalms in it. Um, so it has this, this sense of, uh, right, so on page 59, in the Lord I have taken my refuge. How can you say to my soul, fly like a bird to its mountain, right? So there's, there's something scary going on. The wicked are bracing their bow, fixing their arrows, right? But then flip to the next page, um, you know, he's saying, you know, I'm going to be okay because the Lord is in his holy temple, right? The Lord whose throne is in heaven. His eyes look down. So he's saying that's that steadfast, that confidence right there, right? Um, and then and probably Psalm 15 falls in the same category. You get some other ones have this very strong thanksgiving theme. And that makes sense. It's the end of the day, right? So we open the day with praise, right? Praising the Lord. And we close the day thanking him for what he's done. And also saying, like, we'll be steadfast through, through the night and you're our confidence. Night prayer, there's only, there's only seven days of night prayer. Um, you can flip to like uh, 3.30 to see those. Um, and those, fall, those are either literally referencing night. There's a handful of psalms that actually reference like you guard me through the night, and that's some of them. Um, they also have to do with a lot of trust and safety. Um, and that makes sense considering like, like night prayer is seen as kind of a, a little daily preparation for death, right? You start with an act of contrition and calling to mind your sins. You end with, you know, into your hands I commend my spirit and protect us, Lord, as we stay awake, which ends with um, 
uh, you know, maybe watch with Christ and asleep rest in his peace. So we're going to sleep, but then we, when we do the final prayer, you know, may the all-powerful Lord grant us a restful night and a peaceful death, it's clear they're connecting the sleep of the night with the sleep of death. It's kind of always reminding us every single day, someday I'll leave this world and I, I want to be ready. Um, this doesn't have a good example of daytime prayer just because only one week in here, but uh, daytime prayer has a lot of emphasis on there's work to be done, right? And that makes sense. In the middle of the day, you got work to be done. And then office of readings with the one that we have basically none of in here uh, has all the rest. It has some wisdom psalms, some history psalms. It's kind of the catch-all for everything else in that category. Um, now, the old Psalter, like I said, was a, was a one-week thing, so you got bigger chunks. You'd get mostly five psalms per hour hour of the day, morning, evening, night, etc. Now it's broken mostly three, with the exception of there's only one at night prayer, sometimes two at night prayer, right? Um, so I'm going to talk about some other psalms uh, and just kind of like give you some highlights, some favorites. Uh, I probably won't be able to flip quick enough through the shorter Christian prayer. If you have your Bible, you might be able to, it, it, you can follow along um, just because like this Psalter is not in the same order. So I'm going to go through an order and you'll be, you'll be jumping a little bit. Um, but like Psalm 1, uh, Psalm 1 is actually interesting. It starts that they, the, psalm, the, the Psalter starts off that way in the Liturgy of the Hours. It starts off with Psalm 1. And Psalm 1 is interesting in that, like, the church fathers are obsessed with it. They, not just because it's the first one, but because in it they figured, like, this is what all of the Christian life is about. Because it begins by saying, Happy those who do not follow the counsel of the wicked, nor go the way of sinners, nor sit in the company of scoffers. Rather, the law of the Lord is their joy. God's law is they study day and night. And this is the famous line. They are like a tree planted near streams of water that yields its fruit in due season. Its leaves never wither. Whatever they do prospers. So that's this image they have of like, why do you do the Psalms? So you can be like a tree planted near water. So that you can be one who, who grows up strong and straight. And, right? and why do we pray so we can be like the just man? And then the second half is... Not so the wicked, not so. They are like chaff driven by the wind. And so it's just kind of this like, it's back to Deuteronomy. Here's life, here's death, here's blessing, here's curse. Which do you choose? So they were really obsessed with the idea that Psalm 1 starts off by saying like, you know, you know which way do you want to go? And, and giving you this like, here is life, blessing, praise, and the Lord. Here is trouble and, and deceit and sin and idolatry and stuff like that. Psalm 2 is one of the huge uh, royal psalms. Um, it's uh, usually done in the morning, um, and it, it's one of these ones where it's pretty intense uh, because it talks about, you know, the Lord striking down the other nations and throwing off their shackles and stuff like that. Um, and, uh, and it has reference to uh, an iron rod shattering them like pots. It's pretty intense. It's pretty, it's pretty strong. But if you think about it, if you're, if you're the people of Israel and you're surrounded by Philistines and Edomites and, and Egypt to the south and Babylon to the north, the idea of like God defending the king, defending the people uh, is, is very strong. And it's a psalm picked up by the uh, apostles in the Acts of the Apostles to talk about Jesus. Like Jesus is seen as being represented in Psalm 2, also Psalm 110, the other big royal psalm. Psalm 19, uh, C.S. Lewis calls the, calls the greatest song ever written or the greatest poem ever written. Um, it it's, begins with a famous passage, The heavens declare the glory of God, the sky proclaims his builder's craft. One day to the next conveys the message, one night to the next imparts knowledge. So this is an idea of like, you don't even have to have the gospel. You don't even need scriptures. You can just go outside and look at the sky, look at the sun, the cloud, the stars, look at the earth, look at, look at everything around you. 
how do you not see a creator behind that? Paul references that in Romans chapter 1. Um, you know, how do you not see that? But then the second half of Psalm 19 makes this cool little flip where it says, okay, that's a way to see God. You, and then you will also see God in the Torah. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The decree of the Lord is trustworthy, giving wisdom to the simple. So what it's doing there is it's saying, like, there's two ways to meet God, two ways to hear his voice. One is in the the book of the world, and the other one is in the book of scripture. That's actually a term that the, the, the early monks used to use. That I can see, I can hear God in the book of the scripture and in the book of the world. Um, Psalm 22, this is our most famous of the... Um, suffering psalms specifically this is the one that we connect with uh, the crucifixion in part because jesus literally quotes it from the cross my god my god why have you abandoned me that's the opening line of the psalm but it gets interesting because like is he quoting it because like just like we do in catholic land right we name every psalm by its first line our father hail mary glory be salve regina right you know uh like that's just how we do all of our almost all of our prayers they did the same thing you would know psalm 2 by my god my god why have you abandoned me and yet we know that there's also other layers in that right there's jesus who is trusted and gone to the cross but you know on the cross there is pain there is darkness there is sadness right um and so for 2000 years literally 2000 years people have been debating what does jesus mean when he says that is he actually like calling out the people down below who are mocking him because it talks about those who mock me and shake their heads and deride me and stuff like that um or is he saying look here i am right now i'm in the midst of this when you see these these uh, ideas like um i am a worm and not a man they mock me, they curl their lips and they jeer. They say, he relied on the Lord, let him deliver him. Uh, he talks about how my hands and my feet are pierced, right? My water, like water my life drains away, my bones grow soft, my heart becomes like wax. So we've understood these for years in light of uh, the, the crucifixion. But we never know exactly how to understand Jesus' use of it. Psalm 23, everybody knows it, everybody loves it, uh, but I don't need to explain it because you get it pretty well. But I do want to point out, that you do have one of the saddest and hardest psalms right next to one of the ones of great comfort. No one knows why they're in the order they're in. They're not chronological. They're not like lumped David psalms, Solomon psalms, other people's psalms. They don't tend to go very long in too happy or too sad. They just seem pretty random. And yet, sometimes it's good that you have the sad and the happy next to each other because they, they like, I'm sad, I'm, I'm crushed, I'm lamenting, but I also have peace. Psalm 30 is one of the ones that gets quoted most in the Easter season um, because it was seen as this great prediction of, uh, of, of the resurrection. That's why it gets used in evening prayer. It's a Thanksgiving psalm for deliverance. Um, but the thing we have to remember is that when, when we hear, like, you know, Lord, you've lifted me up from the dead, you've saved me from the pit, when we hear that in the psalms, they apparently thought it was a metaphor because everyone seems totally lost when Jesus says, I'll be raised from the dead. Nobody seems to be like, oh yeah, there's a psalm about that, right? Apparently nobody had that understanding. They would have said it's m metaphorical like the other ones. But then when you actually see it come to life, no pun intended, then it's a different kind of experience. Um, so Psalm 30 is famous for that. 42 and 43 are like one of my favorites and a lot of people really like them. Um, they are both a mix of like, sadness for when you're feeling a little melancholic but also like uh uh 
devotion, right, the opening line, as the deer longs for the streams of water, so my soul longs for you, O God, right? Um, But then he talks about how sad he is because where is my God? I don't see him. There's a time of darkness. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I remember you, right? Um, And then it has the famous refrain that goes through both Psalm 42 and 43, um, the, uh, the refrain of, uh, why are you cast down, my soul? Why do you grow within me? Hope in God, I will praise him still, my Savior and my God. It pops up three times in the, in the, in the two psalms. Most people think 42 and 43 were originally a one psalm, but they got kind of split up because they have so much in common. It feels like one continuous thing, because it even has the same refrain in both of them. Um, I'm just going to say that 45, 46, 47, 48, they're all very different, but they are... Um, they're really good comfort psalms, and they're, they're also uh, reflecting, um, like, their comfort comes from the house of David and God protecting that. So there's a wedding psalm, there's a description of Zion, um, there's uh, another kind of a praise psalm, but it's specifically with God uh, ruling over, and then another psalm about uh, Zion as the home of God. 51 is the psalm that we're told explicitly is written by David after he sins with Bathsheba and kills Uriah. We're specifically told that that is his lament, not his lament, his contrition psalm, right? Um, My Bible even says the miserere, which is like the only piece of Latin in this entire Bible. Because for 2,000 years, people talk about like, uh, for your penance, you know, go uh, recite the miserere. Because it was like the go-to contrition psalm, Um, and we actually use a lot of different parts of it in the liturgy. Um, 66, we already read. That was, oh God, you are my God. For you I long. For you my soul is thirsting. Uh, so that's one of those great uh, devotion psalms. 74 is an interesting one. It, it's a kind of a lament, but not for myself, but for the whole kingdom. Um, it's also the uh, theme psalm of people who recovated churches in the 60s and 70s. Uh, because it says things like this. Um, your foes roared triumphantly in your shrine. They set up their own tokens of victory. They hacked away like foresters gathering boughs, swinging their axes in a thicket of trees. They smashed all your engraved work, pounded it with a hammer and a pick. They set your sanctuary on fire. They, the abode of your name they raised and profaned. And you've probably been in a church that feels like they did that, right? You're like, oh yeah, that was the 70s. They did that. Yep. Um, you know, we always say that at least when the, when the Protestants did that to our churches in the 1500s, at least they were our enemies on that one. It's a shame we did it to ourselves in the 60s and 70s. Uh, my home church had this gorgeous high altar, an eight-foot statue of St. Boniface. They couldn't get it out the door, so they just smashed it with a hammer and took it out the door from there. I mean, it's insane. Um, so, yeah. Anyway, um, but Psalm 74 has some other cool things. It's also, it, it gets quoted in the liturgy of the baptism of our Lord because of this image of, um, uh, in like verses uh, 13 and 14, you stirred up the sea in your might, you smashed the heads of the dragons on the waters, you crushed the heads of Leviathan, tossed him for food to the sharks. And, and they, they, the church fathers saw that as being a description of like Jesus going into the waters to crush Satan's head, fulfilling Genesis chapter 3. Um, Psalm 80 uh, is, is just a really nice one that we see reflected a lot. It's the story of the vineyard, which Jesus directly picks up in one of his parables. 88, we talked about, is the, the saddest of them all. It's the only one that doesn't have a positive turn at the end. 91 is gorgeous. We use it at night prayer. It's kind of been ruined by the song on eagle's wings, but if you can get that out of your head, you don't get an earworm from that. You can actually really enjoy it. It's beautiful. 
103 and 104 are kind of a pair. They both start, bless the Lord, O my soul. Um, and, and the first one is kind of a, a story of like just my, my praise of God. 104 is the earth praising God or us reflecting on like how God makes all these things. It's also where we get the lines about what the Holy Spirit does, right? Lord, send out your spirit, renew the face of the earth. It's also the one that talks about how wine is God's gift to cheer men's heart. So if you ever need to give a a shout out to the alcohol is not bad, Baptists are wrong, Psalm 104. So you can write that down and say that. Um, 110 is that great uh, messianic psalm, royal psalm, that we hear at every single Sunday night of the year in the Liturgy of the Hours. Every single time, no matter what, you always will do Psalm 110. Uh, and it's, it's the reference to him being in the line of Melchizedek, but also being the, the Messiah. 118, we've talked about a couple times. This is the day the Lord has made. It's this great Easter psalm. 119 is fascinating because it's the longest chapter of the entire Bible. Um, it gives you eight verses per letter of the, of, the, of the Hebrew Bible, or Hebrew alphabet. So it's like A, 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 B, 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 B. Whole sections all reflecting on the law. And it's actually just amazing that anybody could write that kind of poem. Um, I, I talked about the Psalm of the Ascents. That's 120 to 134. If you're looking for just some good place to start with the Psalms, that's an excellent place. 120 through 134. That's what they sang as they went up to Jerusalem. So you, you can picture Jesus doing that on his way to Jerusalem when he's 12 years old and stuff like that. Um, and there's some real, real uh, great ones in there. 126 is the one that we quote um, during Martyrs' Feast Days. Um, they go out, they go out full of tears, um, uh, and they, uh, sorry, they go out, they go out carrying sacks of seed, they return with cries of joy, carrying the sheaves, that's ever said, those who sow in tears will reap with cries of joy. So that's a famous one for, uh, the martyrs. 127 and 128, I like, because they're like the family psalms, they're the only psalms that really reference spouse and kids, so if you're ever looking for something about family, 127 and 128 are good. 136 and 137 are cool just because they kind of do what 22 and 23 do, where you have, uh, but they flip it. 36 is this, like, almost like this, like, uh, war chant or sports arena chant, because every line finishes with, uh, for his love endures forever, or God's mercy endures forever, and it becomes this, like, rhythmic kind of chant about how good God is. And then you turn the page to 137, and it's the story of them stuck in Babylon in exile, hanging up their harps on the trees beside the river, saying, how could we sing your songs in exile? How could we sing your songs in Babylon? So the other one went sad to happy. This one goes joyous to crushed. And then finally, to end it all, 145 through 150, those last five psalms, are like some of the loudest, most intense praise psalms in the whole Bible. You see them pop up a lot in morning prayer, usually the third psalm of morning prayer, uh, because they're just like praise, blessing, praise, happiness, praise, extolling God, all that sort of stuff. So if you need them, if you need praise, go to the end of the Psalter and you find them there. So anyway, that's just some, some hints. If, hopefully you find something in there that you're like, I can pray with this, or now if I go through there, I'll understand it better, um, and, and can, can realize, if nothing else, just the church's appreciation for the Psalms, and say, that maybe makes me want to, you know, maybe do morning prayer. You know, do just those three Psalms. I don't have to do the whole thing, but doing, you know, those three Psalms every morning might be the lift I need, or, you know, adding night prayer, or evening prayer to kind of cap my day off. That might be a really helpful thing. So I just encourage you to check that out, and there's lots of good stuff written on the Psalms out there as well, so don't be afraid to Google for that also.